you know, I mean, so many photographers have hit up all of these locations. So it's really kind of difficult to um, put your own spin on it. And it's pretty much been shot at every angle um, in every sort of condition. I guess in a sense, there's no way that you can have an original image, but somehow you managed to have an original image because it's your own. You shot it. I like to um, have a clearly defined style when it comes to my post-processing. It's kind of like what I'm feeling. Like I want someone to see that and say, oh, Rylan definitely took that picture. It's definitely difficult to put your own spin on things. And it's taken me um, quite a while to be able to do that. Hey, welcome to episode 382 of the Beginner Photography Podcast brought to you by CloudSpot, the easiest and all-in-one solution for photographers to deliver and sell your photos online. I am Raymond Hatfield, your host, and today we are chatting with wildlife and landscape photographer Ryland Meadows about capturing compelling wildlife and landscape photography. Now, Ryland is a pretty interesting guy. Uh, it is clear that he has just an absolute love and passion for photography and just loves to talk about it and share his ideas with others. Now, Ryland has a YouTube channel where he takes you behind the scenes of shooting landscapes, of shooting wildlife. And even though I'm not a, you know, a wildlife photographer, uh, his insights are both interesting and entertaining at the same time. And so I know that you are going to enjoy this interview because he brings that, uh, that same, uh, you know, passion into this conversation as well. So with that, let's go ahead and get on into today's podcast with Rylan Meadow. Rylan, I just want to know, when did you know that photography was going to play an important role in your life? Well, I got my first camera on Christmas Day of 2018. And so throughout 2019, I just kind of spent my time focusing on learning camera settings and just kind of shooting a little bit of everything that I've seen, um, especially outdoors. And then it, the pandemic started, obviously, in 2020. And I think um, when I got to the end of 2020, and I was still doing photography, you know, I've been stuck in my house all year. I, I think at that point, I realized, well, if I can do this, being stuck at home all year, I think I can do this for my whole life, you know. So that's, that's when I thought that photography was going to have an impact on my life. Now, those early days when you said, you know, you got that camera, and you're trying to figure out settings. Um, there's kind of the, the two camps in photographers, right? The the people who get the camera just set it to auto and they're like, this is great. This is all that I needed. And then those who do decide to take more of a uh, controlled approach. So why did you decide that uh, learning camera settings and taking control of your camera was, was important to you? You know, I wanted full control of kind of what my final image was going to look like. I didn't want the camera to decide that for me. I didn't want to just hold my camera up to my eye and press a button. So I started shooting in shutter priority mode and I was just adjusting my shutter speed for a long time. And then, you know, I slowly worked my way up to aperture priority and then I kind of learned about um, f-stop. And so I started with shutter speed and learned how to control shutter speed. Then I learned about f-stop. Then eventually I moved into manual mode and I took full control of my shutter speed and my f-stop. And then I started playing with the ISO as well. Um, so it was really just important for me to learn how to create the image and make it look how I wanted to look. Mm -hmm. Did you find that your images, um, that you were able to better capture the images that you wanted to in shooting in manual mode? At first, not necessarily. <laughs> you know, it, it took a lot of getting used to uh, different camera settings and stuff. But now I, I can definitely um, make the photo look how I want it to by shooting in manual. Yeah. Uh, so when you were first kind of starting out, you said that you were shooting a lot of photos outside. Um, tell me about that. What, what were you shooting specifically? You know, I live on a farm in Kentucky, so uh, I was 
I was shooting a lot of landscape photos. There's um, a forest around my home. I would go out into the woods and shoot out, shoot out there a lot. Um, there's a lot of wildlife around my house, you know, uh, wild turkey, white-tailed deer, um, a variety of species of songbirds. So that's primarily what I was shooting um, outside. Of course, I would also go on hikes and stuff. Um, I'm really close to the Red River Gorge in Kentucky, if anyone's familiar with that area. So I would go out there and shoot a lot as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I see. Um, now, uh, you kind of went through that year, right? You were learning the camera. You uh, went through the pandemic. You shot a lot. And at the end of the year, you decided, I think I'm going to continue on with this. Uh, that was still focused on, say, outdoor nature, wildlife photography. Was it a little bit more um, uh, um, defined than that? Or is it a pretty, pretty wide range there? Even now, I still shoot a pretty broad range. Um, I think if I had to pick one thing that I would shoot, it would definitely be wildlife. Um, you know, I, I've even did um, outdoor portrait photography. That's um, a really nice way. You know, I kind of run a local business, and that's a really nice source of income for me as a college student. But um, if I if I could pick one thing, it would definitely be wildlife. But I, I still shoot a broad range um, of landscapes and wildlife and portraits. Like I said, I mean, I've not really narrowed it down. Um, and I enjoy that. Why? Um, I mean, um, I think each and every individual animal kind of has their own personality. Um, so it's really interesting for me, um, to kind of not only necessarily capture a photo of the animal, but to kind of study and learn about it. It, That's just something that's always fascinated me. I love the outdoors and to be able to look through a telephoto lens and capture an animal up close and see their expressions and kind of get led into their inner thoughts. Um, that's something that's just really, um, unique to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that, um, I don't do a lot of, uh, actually I don't do any, uh, wildlife photography, but looking at like a, a really good photo of an animal is, uh, there's something about it that, that lets you connect to it in a way that, uh, I guess you don't normally do, at least I don't in nature. When I look at an animal, I just think, oh, that animal is just going about its day, I suppose. But there's something about a photo that maybe it's just that certain moment that, I don't know, lets you let you think deeper. Like, what is that animal thinking about? So I, I see what you're talking about there. But uh, I know that wildlife can be difficult to find, right? Because it's not like they have schedules or anything like that. So that... um uh, aspect of it, trying to find animals to shoot on top of still trying to learn your camera, I'm sure made it, uh, you know, extremely difficult. What were some of those challenges that you faced when it came to uh, learning the the photography side while, you know, trying to find these animals to shoot? Yeah, you know, it was it was really challenging at first. Um, you know, I knew a decent amount about wildlife, but I didn't really like sort of get into necessarily all of like what you needed to know about wildlife till I was trying to take photos of them. So um, it was really frustrating, you know, trying to learn how to adjust my settings, trying to learn how to shoot and make an image look how I wanted to. Um, And then I would take one step too close to an animal and it would run away or I would make one small noise, step on the wrong twig and it would, uh, a bird would fly away. Um, So that was very frustrating at the start. Um, I've learned uh, further into my career um, to kind of shoot more out of a photography blind. So you just kind of sit still and wait on animals to come to you rather than going out to them. Um, but that was something that I definitely struggled with at the beginning, trying to learn how to photograph the animals while also um, adjusting my settings. Yeah, geez. I don't know if I have the patience to to sit out. Yeah. I'm sure that you're out there for a while, right? Oh, yeah. Um, when I sit in the blind, I can be out there from anywhere um, to like an hour, which isn't that long. And then I've been out there for like 
six, eight hours. Um, it, it's crazy. Um, luckily, I've got a fairly um, big blind, so I can kind of move around and stuff, and I don't necessarily have to stay seated. But um, it, it can get boring at times if there's no wildlife. <laughs> Yeah, I bet. And you got to keep your eyes peeled the whole time because yeah. I guess they're small animals. That's funny. Uh, what about the the photography side of it? Like uh, when it came to the the settings, was there was there one particular that was uh, difficult for you to kind of really get a grasp on for a while? I think ISO was kind of a really difficult thing for me to kind of grasp because um, shooting uh, when I first started with a beginner DSLR, I didn't really kind of understand the concept of noise. So um, a lot of the times I would shoot on auto ISO and when I would get above 800 ISO on like my Nikon D3500, uh, my photos would look really grainy and I would be like, well, why does it look like that? And I didn't understand and I had to do a lot more research. And then I was like, oh, it's because my ISO is too high. And so then I would have to bring my f-stop down more, my shutter speed down more. And um, it was very frustrating to kind of get um, a hold of that and learn how to make that better. How did you do that? How did, did you just upgrade your camera or did you, did you figure something else out? Um, YouTube. <laughs> uh, I, I learned so much about photography on YouTube. Um, two photographers that have really taught me a lot are Tony and Chelsea Northrup. Um, they're really big in the industry. Um, I learned so much from watching their YouTube videos. Um, luckily, I didn't upgrade my camera or anything. I wasn't somebody that was like, oh, if I upgrade my camera, I'm just going to be so much better. Um, I just kind of learned to try to not go over 800 ISO, um, which can be really frustrating if you're shooting in a low lighting environment, especially for wildlife. So um, I would primarily shoot in golden hour light and not have to worry about um, it being too dark or anything. So um, yeah, I didn't upgrade a camera or anything. I I just kind of had to play it by ear as I went and um, it worked out for me. Yeah. Yeah. Learning to, uh, to see light, recognize light. Uh, it's funny. I, I've said it that, um, it's really hard because we see light technically everywhere, right? That's that's how we see. But it's not until you start to look for it with intention that uh, that it really starts to make sense. Because uh, that's just like that next step. You know what I mean? Like 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 we see it everywhere, but but actually taking the time to pay attention and look at it uh, is really when kind of everything starts to open up. So I think that's really cool that uh, that you took the time to you know, uh, look for light rather than just say, well, if I just spend more money, maybe I'll, I'll be able to take more photos. Cause that honestly, I mean, that was, that was one of my first uh, reactions when I first got into photography and I started to run into tissues like that. And you'd think if I get a better camera, it's going to take better photos. Cause that's what pros use. But uh, obviously that's not, not always the case, uh, but you did upgrade at some point, right? What, what are you shooting with now? And, um, tell me why did you decide to upgrade? Oh, I am shooting with my all-time dream camera right now. I'm shooting with a Nikon C9, and I, I just love it so much. Um, I initially upgraded for my D3500 in, I believe, 2021, and I upgraded to a Nikon D500 because um, at the time I was primarily shooting wildlife, and that was one of the best DSLRs that Nikon had um, as a crop sensor camera to shoot wildlife. And I still totally recommend that camera to, to um people that are really passionate about shooting birds and wildlife because it's great. Um, but at the end of the day, um, it was getting to the point where I wanted to upgrade, have something nicer. I wanted something that made my life a little bit easier um, in terms of autofocus. Um, and up until the release of the Nikon Z9, there wasn't really anything in Nikon's mirrorless system that was going to be great for birds and wildlife. And of course, the Nikon Z9 still has its flaws. Um, 
but it makes my life way easier. A lot of the times I don't necessarily have to hurry and try to move a focus point to a bird. It'll even like detect it for me. And it's great. So um, when I decided to upgrade, my main purpose for doing so was definitely uh, for better and quicker autofocus. Oh, I see. I I don't even know if I've ever thought about it. So it locks on to animals, like animal faces, like the autofocus? Yes, it, it's wow. pretty crazy. It'll even lock on to like a little songbird's eye. Of course, you have to be <laughs> decently close for it to be able to sure. lock onto the eye, but it can like detect their body and stuff from a pretty good distance. It's very impressive what um, mirrorless cameras can do for birds and wildlife um, these days. Oh, that is cool. That is cool. So um, the D500, though, you mentioned that you said it's still a, you'd still recommend it for you said for new photographers getting into to birding. Why? Why that one as opposed to the, uh, or I guess what, what was it about the, the, you said the D500 that you liked over the, uh, 3500? Did I get those numbers right? Yes, that was right. Um, so for the D3500, it was a great camera. If you're getting into photography, you know, even now it's still great. It's a little bit older, but, um, when you're kind of getting to the point where you want to be more serious about it and, um, get into birds of my life in particular more, um, the D500 has a really great autofocus system, um, especially if you're upgrading from like a beginner DSLR. Um, it, it's great. Um, it has 3D tracking as a DSLR, and it's got um, all sorts of different focus modes that can be really great um, for birds. Um, one of the popular ones that I would use was group focus, especially dealing with like a bird in plot. Um, uh, it's it's just a superb camera, and on top of that, it's still um, a crop sensor format. So you can get further reach on your full frame lenses, um, which is something that was important to me um, at the time as a bird and wildlife photographer. It can get me closer to the subject. So you don't have to have like um, a 600 millimeter lens to get good, uh, a good like long focal length. You can you can just have like a 300 millimeter lens and you can still um, get more than 300 millimeters because you're shooting on a crop sensor, assuming your lens is full frame. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's a hard thing for uh, for a lot of new photographers to figure out, because I guess there's just this idea that full frame is the best. So you got to go for full frame. But when you really do need that reach to get far away, you found that the uh, the crop sensor worked best for you. So now that you upgraded to a full frame camera, is the way that you get around that just buy longer lenses? Um, you know, I have a 200 to 500 millimeter lens, and that's what I primarily use um, to shoot birds of monolith. Um, So it's very handy. I, I don't really notice much of a difference now. Um, but luckily, my full frame camera has more megapixels than my crop sensor did. So if I need to crop in and get closer and post, um, mm-hmm. I can. But as a beginner, I still um, think I made the right decision shooting crop sensor because it got me closer and I didn't have to worry about cropping in because I didn't have as many megapixels on that camera. So um you, you know, I, I still think that a crop sensor has its purposes and it worked yeah. well for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's great. I want to know um, because so I checked out your YouTube channel and uh, you got a lot of videos out there. And uh, just a few days ago, I watched uh, the one where you were uh, you went on like this whole road trip through uh, I think it was um, the Tetons, uh, Yellowstone and Glacier National Park. Is that right? Yes, that okay. was a fun trip. I want to talk about that uh, because that is something that I know a, a lot of people would love to do, right? Um, but there's a lot of pressure, I'm sure, right? When you have to travel for photography in a number of areas. One, obviously, you got to just carry all your gear. But then there's also this this pressure to perform, right? So for this trip, I guess, can you tell me a little bit more about it? And did you have a goal for the trip as far as uh, photography-wise? 
Yeah, so um, the trip actually started off very rocky, and um, it was actually very frustrating at the beginning. Um, if anyone remembers the historic flooding that happened in Yellowstone last year, um, I arrived just days after that flood. So um, Yellowstone was actually closed when I arrived on that trip, um, and that was supposed to be the first um, place that I was going, the south entrance of Yellowstone, and spending time in the South Park. And I actually couldn't do that at all, so I just had to um, spend time at state parks around the area. So that was very frustrating to me because um, there wasn't necessarily a set in stone goal for the trip, but I was really open to get some good photos of bears um, and just other types of wildlife um, that was most prevalent in Yellowstone. And unfortunately, that didn't happen um, because I didn't get to spend as much time there as I wanted to. Uh, but yeah, there, there was definitely a lot of pressure for me to kind of perform. I, I knew that people were going to be looking on social media and seeing what I was up to on there. And, um, you know, I've developed a decent following on Instagram and YouTube. And so there's definitely people that kind of expect me to perform, um, in like a really great way. And that pressure can get to me sometimes. And on that trip, um, it was kind of stressful, even though it was like a vacation for me. Um, I was doing a lot of work and the fact that I wasn't able to get in Yellowstone, um, it was very stressful because it was like, am I still going to be able to get good photos on this trip? How do you handle that stress of knowing that somebody is expecting certain photos out of you? You know, I, I try to just take photos for me. Um, I like to say that photography brings me fulfillment. I'm not taking pictures to feel fulfilled. It brings me fulfillment. Um, and so I kind of try to get in my mind and say, you're doing this for you. You're not doing it for other people. Of course, um, that can be difficult at times when people are constantly like, oh, you've not posted. Where have you been? Are you taking photos? Um, but I try to remember that at the end of the day, I'm doing this for me and not for an audience. That's a hard that's a hard thing to do, especially I think yeah. after time where you start to kind of build up a bit of a following. And also, you know, being a small business owner and you feel that you got to share stuff. Otherwise people, you know, forget about you, which isn't always the case. Obviously people are commenting on your stuff saying like, Hey, like we missed your stuff. Uh, yeah. They haven't forgot about you, but I, I understand that pressure. Uh, so do you ever feel like, uh, like when you go out, um, well, I guess, I guess let's stay on this pressure thing for a moment because again, wildlife is so unpredictable. You know, you, you don't know when it's going to come out. Like, has there ever been times where you go out and expecting, I don't know, uh, moose or something and all you see is just ducks like like what do you do so many times um and <laughs> at this point i have i've kind of just learned to adapt it's like i don't know what i'm gonna see like you know i would love to go out and photograph a deer every time i'm out in the field but chances are that's just not gonna happen so i just i've learned to shoot what i see and just be thankful for what i see because so many times i'll go out and not even see anything and it's like well i'm out here to photograph wildlife and there's no wildlife so what do i do um you know, and that's very frustrating. But um, at the end of the day, anytime I go out on a shoot and I can find a subject to photograph, um, it's a good day. So um, I just kind of adapt. And although I might have um, something that I would like to see, um, it doesn't always happen. So I just make the best out of it. That's awesome. So you wanted to see a bear. You did not see a bear. Tell me about how you adapted uh, in that situation. You know, it was very frustrating to me because I was so confident that if I had, and even now, I still think, well, if I could have spent um, the two weeks, uh, the week and a half in Yellowstone that um, I had originally planned to spend there, I'm fairly certain that I could have had an encounter with some sort of bear, whether it be a black bear or a grizzly bear. I feel like I could have seen something. So even now, that's still frustrating for me. Um, 
But I try to remind myself, even if I would have got to spend all that time there, there was no guarantee that I was going to see a bear. Um, so even though I had that kind of pre-expectation in my mind, um, it's like, well, there's no guarantee that was going to happen anyways. So I try to remind myself of that, but it can still be frustrating when that's what you want to see and it just doesn't happen. Yeah, of course. What were some of your favorite photos from that trip then? Oh my gosh. Um, I got a really great sunset photo of the Tetons. Um, so that's actually landscape. Um, I got some great wildlife photos of elk. Um, I got a really unique photo of Lake McDonald at Glacier National Park with the beautiful covered rocks in the foreground. Um, there were so many beautiful images that I did get to create, um, even though I didn't get to see that bear. Um, I'm still very happy with the results that I had from that trip. Yeah, that's good. Um, why why those places? Why 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 Tetons, Yellowstone, and Glacier, and not somewhere else like um, I don't know Arcadia or or Yosemite or something? Why why did you choose those locations? Um, you know, I've I've always wanted to go to Yellowstone. So my main uh, primary location that I wanted to spend time at on the trip was Yellowstone, and then of course that didn't get to happen <laughs> um, due to the flooding, uh, which is Totally fine. I understand you can't control nature. It it happened. It is what it is. Um, but two of the closest parks to Yellowstone um, are actually Glacier National and the Tetons. The Tetons are south of Yellowstone and Glacier National is north. So um, I wanted to spend time in those as well because I've loved the landscape photos that I've seen on social media from the Tetons. And I was like, well, if I can have a chance to create my own version, my own spinoff of photos like this, um, I should totally take it. And then I was very excited to um, go to Lake McDonald as well and see those colorful rocks in person. And so um, that's definitely why I picked those. Um, they were pretty close to Yellowstone, which was my main focus. Um, so that was a huge um, reason as well. But um, I was also really um, fascinated in the beauty of those parks. Sure. Yeah. I mean, they are beautiful locations and uh, they're places where I'd, I'd love to go and, and visit as well. Uh, but when it comes to, you know, uh, shooting in, say, Yellowstone or something like that or or going out and taking these photos, I, I'm curious to know, like, um, you take the photos. Hold on. I guess let me let me formulate this question because um, there is there is an investment to fly to these places. There's an investment uh, in time to shoot these photos. Uh, there's an investment in in energy as well. And uh, as a photographer, how do you determine whether or not that investment paid off? Is it in a monetary sense or is it in a fulfillment sense? Or could you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, for for me, um, it's definitely in the fulfillment sense, you know, seeing a monetary uh, kind of feedback from that as well is obviously nice. Um, but for me, it's definitely kind of the feeling that I get when I capture the photos. Um, and then, of course, if I do choose to share those on social media and other people seem to have like the same feeling, um, if they're like, oh, this image really speaks to me, that's really nice as well. Um, just kind of seeing the support that other people will be willing to give to those photos um, makes it kind of worth it for me as well. I like to um, be able to make people feel like they're in a location without ever having, having to um, step foot in it. And um, when I can do that and I can feel fulfilled myself at the same time from a photo I'm creating, uh, I feel like it's worth the investment. You know, you mentioned that you saw a number of these locations on uh, Instagram before you had went and you thought, I'd love to kind of put my spin on it. Um, what is your spin? How, how do you how do you take um, 
a location like, uh, uh, forgive me, I don't know what it's called, but there's, there's that barn in front of the Tetons, right? It's been photographed a million times. How do you go into it and try to put your own spin on it? You know, I mean, so many photographers have hit up all of these locations. So it's really kind of difficult to, um, put your own spin on it. And it's pretty much been shot at every angle, um, in every sort of condition. So, um, I guess in a sense, there's no way that you can have an original image, but somehow you manage to have an original image because it's your own and you shot it. Um, I'd like to um, have a clearly defined style when it comes to my post-processing. Um, I've created presets um, that I use. Um, so I'll do like an original edit and then I'll apply my preset to that um, to kind of make my photos look bright, vibrant. Um, that's that's my style. I like bright and vibrant. Of course, there are so many other photographers that do that um, and have that same style. Um, but for me, um, it's just, it's kind of like what I'm feeling. Like I want someone to see that and say, oh, Rylan definitely took that picture. Um, and of course, if you've seen one of my photos compared to like a thousand other photos of that same location, you're not going to be able to pinpoint mine most likely and say, oh, Rylan took that one. But um, if you're scrolling through social media and you're like scrolling through a bunch of different photographers that you follow, I want you to be able to stop, see a photo that I've posted and say, oh, Rylan definitely took this one and then scroll up and it says Rylan's amazing photography on the tagline. So um, it's definitely difficult to put your own spin on things. And it's taken me um, quite a while to be able to do that and formulate that. But um, at the end of the day, I want to be able to have a defined um, look to my photos. What do you think was missing from your photos, um, say, in those early days that you have found now that, that feels like you have more of a stamp on your images? Um, definitely just kind of a, a standard, like um, one of my photos could look entirely different um, from another one. And that wasn't even necessarily because of what I was doing in camera, but it could also be what I was doing out of camera. Um, I, I didn't fully understand composition, so I would be trying a bunch of different things. So things would be differently composed. And of course, I still do that now. But I was just trying so many different compositional techniques. Um, in terms of post-processing as well, I would try so many different ways of editing my images. And now, you know, I've kind of got it narrowed down to um, different compositional techniques that I use most often, as well as the way that I edit my photos. Um, most of my photos are edited in the same way. So it's um, fairly obvious. Um, you can tell that one photo goes with another of mine, even if they're totally unrelated and from different shoots. Yeah, I always say that um, when it comes to editing, the way that I view it is more of like a stamp, right? Like, this is my shot. Like, here's it, it's less about uh, completely changing the image and more about uh, kind of the, the maker's mark of an image to give it that, that visual look. Um, but when, when you had first started and you're trying all these different edits and you're trying all these different compositions and whatnot, um, I know that it can be frustrating to look at somebody else's work and say, they've got it. Like, they got this thing. Like, it is so good and it, it is so clearly them. Uh, how did you get over that 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 frustration or that, that, that roadblock, like what kept you going versus, well, I, you know, I'm clearly not at this point. So what am I, what am I even doing trying here? You know, I, I think looking at other photographers work um, kind of kept me going. It was like, well, I want to be able to be that good one day. I want somebody to be able to like go to my profile or look at my photos and be like, Oh, he's got it. And so that kind of just kept me motivated and kept me going. Um, not that photography is a competition, but that was it. It was very um, kind of 
inspiring for me to look at other photographers and be um, like, you know, um, so amazed. And I would be like, oh, I want to look, I, I want my photos to look like that. I want to have it together like that. And so it, at the end of the day, that was my motivation to keep going um, and, you know, try to get it together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, uh, you said uh, that you want somebody to look at your photos and say, like, he's got it. Outside of that, outside of, 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 of understanding that you are a competent photographer, how do you want people to feel when they see your images? Yeah. Um, I don't want people to just look at my photos and be like, Oh, I hope I'm as good as him one day. You know, there are certain emotions that can even be evoked from a photograph. And I like, um, my goal is when people look at my work, I want them to feel the same way about a photo that I feel. Of course, I totally understand that, um, photography can have its own interpretations for every single person. So you're not necessarily going to look at a photo I took and feel the same way I feel because, you know, I, I was there, I was on location and, um, getting that emotion that you feel on location to transfer into a digital photograph that you share to the entire world can be extremely difficult. Yes. Um, so I definitely like have an understanding that everybody isn't going to feel the same way about an image. Um, but if even just one person feels the same way about my photo that I feel, I feel like I've did my job. You know, I don't want people to just look at me and be like, Oh, I want to be good. Like him one day. Um, I want people to be able to enjoy my work and just kind of sit back and view it. So if you want people to feel how you feel when when you were there and when you shot it, um, uh, can you kind of talk to me a little bit about that? Like how like in what ways are you are you trying to bring that emotion into an image? I know that uh, we talked a little bit before we started recording that you're in Arizona right now. Um, kind of tell me about that, because where you're at is like this this uh, it's a very big and vast location. So how do you bring in the emotions that you feel when you get out there to shoot uh, into your image? Yeah, so there's a variety of ways that I do this. Um, I can do this with a focal length of a lens. I can do this um, with uh, my exposure time, uh, with editing. Um, out here in Arizona, I'll use that as an example right now because I'm out here. There's so many colorful, um, beautiful orange and red rocks. Um, so when I edit, um, when I go into Lightroom and I upload a raw file, it's not necessarily going to look exactly how it looked to me. Um, it's not going to have that bright popping look, you know, it's actually pretty flat and monotone because it's a raw file. So um, I love to kind of bring it to life. You know, I don't overdo saturation and vibrance, but I definitely pull those up quite a bit. Um, something that I like to use personally is clarity. Um, I know some photographers don't like to use that, um, but it tends to work pretty well for me and my photos. Um, so editing um, is a huge part of that for me. Mm -hmm. uh, do you find that you spend a lot of time editing each image or, or would you consider yourself a pretty quick editor? Hey, Raymond here. If you're sometimes baffled by which camera settings to use, then I've got just the thing for you. My free guide, Picture Perfect Camera Settings. It's a fantastic starting point for anybody eager to understand the basics of camera settings in various shooting scenarios. And it's tailored to beginners who want to get out of auto mode, providing clear, easy to follow suggestions on where to start with your settings. So whether you're capturing a stunning landscape or a family portrait, Picture Perfect Camera Settings will help you to get off of automatic mode and explore the possibilities your camera offers. 
Remember, mastering photography settings is a journey, and this guide is your first step, and the perfect resource to guide you towards finding the right settings for your style. So grab your copy today at perfectcamerasettings.com and start your journey to better photos. Somewhere in the middle. Um, <laughs> I, I don't spend like two hours on a single image. Um, but I'm also not just rushing through and not clicking a preset. You know, I take my time. Um, anything that needs to be added to an image, not like photoshopped in, but like if there's like color or like light that I feel like should be a little more prevalent in one spot in the photo, I'm going to take my time and put that in. Um, I'm not going to rush through it. But at the same time, I'm not willing to spend like three hours on a single photo. Um, not to say that I would never do that if it was some like amazing photo that I took that I, like I was so proud of and never going to shut up about maybe I would spend that much time on that. But, um, in general, no, um, it probably takes me an hour or two to edit, um, most of my shoots, um, in terms of landscape and wildlife anyways. When you first open up an image, what's the first thing that you do? That's a tough one. Um, it honestly depends on the photo. I think the first thing is kind of make sure that my exposure is right. Um, I want the image to look fairly balanced. Um, I want the shadows to be obvious. I want the highlights to be obvious. Um, I want you to be able to tell a difference. I don't want it to look flat and monotone. You know, I want it to be vibrant. I want it to be bright. I want it to pop. Um, and that way, so when I have a print on the wall, it pops. Like you're going to notice that when you walk in a room and you're scrolling through social media and you see one of my photos online, it's going to pop. You're going to like stop and look at it. Um, I want it to be very um, pleasing to the eye and I want it to kind of attract your eye to it. I see. Uh, when when you do go out and travel, are you a um, bring all the gear kind of photographer or are you a I'm going to bring minimal gear and just make it work kind of a photographer? This is a toxic trait of mine. Um, I tend to overpack um, pretty much <laughs> for every shoot because my mindset is, well, I would rather have too much than not enough, which you know is a fair point. But when you have a 60 pound camera bag on your backpack, um, on your back, I mean, and you're two miles into a hike, you can kind of regret that um, in a sense. Um, so, it, it, you know, I don't want to not have enough, but I also tend to overpack when it comes to my gear. Like I could be going out on a landscape shoot and then bring like a telephoto lens because I'm like, well, what if I see an animal on the way there? <laughs> in like an area that I know I'm not going to see an animal, but it's like, what if, you know? So I, I tend to pack um, too much gear. That is funny. I I wonder what you would do. Like, I wonder how your uh, approach would change if just once you went out on a, you know, on a hike and just brought, you know, just, a, I don't know, 24 to 70 or something and just see how it went. I wonder if that would just uh, kill you inside. Like, oh, it's right there. I know that I have this lens that could get it perfectly, but I, I don't have it with me. Do you think do you think that the pain of missing a shot would be worse than um than i guess spending more time enjoying the activity and still capturing a shot even though it's not the best does that question make sense that seems like a very long question no i understand um you know uh it's kind of I feel like I'll get over it, <laughs> you know, like I feel like it would force me to be creative, um, especially if I just had like a 24 to 70 um, on my camera. And then like um, if I looked up and saw like a deer or a bear, you know, I'm obviously going to be frustrated and be like, well, I have a 200 to 500 could get a perfect shot of this instead of standing here with um, a wide angled lens on. Uh, but I, I feel like 
I feel like it would be good for me as a photographer and it would force me to kind of be more creative. Um, so I really need to try that. You know, um, I mentioned earlier, we were talking before we started the show. Um, I do enjoy the hike and sometimes I'll go out um, on a hike and not have any camera gear. And then I'll see something and be like, oh, I wish I had my camera. I would so love to get a picture of that. But then it's kind of like, no, I'm out here right now to enjoy nature and not to work, even though it's like a hobby for me as well. It's kind of like I'm just out here to kind of relax and just enjoy um, the nature around me. Um, and I can get over it when it's like that. But, um, you know, if, if I had my camera and didn't have the right lens, I don't know. I would probably be frustrated, but um, it would be good for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would imagine that would be hard. It, like when you put yourself in those boxes, like I'm here for a hike. It's easy to get over that, uh, that I missed a shot, but if you're out there to shoot and you miss a shot, I'm sure that that just feels a whole, a whole lot worse for sure. Um, I kind of want to go back to these animals a little bit because, um, as we talked about, animals don't really have a, a schedule, right? Um, so it, is your approach to wildlife photography to just go out and just see what happens? Or is there a little bit more, um, planning as far as, uh, I don't know much about animals, uh, migration and knowing where they eat and, and drink and stuff? Or, or how, how do you, how do you, I guess, stack the cards in, in your favor to make sure that uh, you do try to walk away with, uh, with an image that you can use? You know, you, you have to do a good amount of research and know the subject that you're shooting. That's something that I really um, kind of preach to anybody that asks me for advice on wildlife photography. You have to know your subject. Um, it's very important to kind of understand the animal that you're shooting. Like, I don't go out um, on a cold winter day and expect to see um, uh, an indigo bunting, for example, because that's a summer bird. Um, they're not going to be there in the winter. If I went out, um, looking for that bird in snow, it would be pointless because it's not going to be in Kentucky during that time of year. Um, so migration definitely does have an effect on it. Um, something else that's important to know is kind of uh, for birds and wildlife, their behavior, like you're not going to be able to get within 10 feet or probably even 20 or 30 feet of a deer. Whereas a bird, you can get a lot closer. You can get within 10 feet of a bird. Um, it's important to kind of know what they're comfortable with. And that can't just be learned um, through research. Um, it's a lot of kind of firsthand experience out in the field as well, um, learning and understanding what animals are comfortable with. And that can be very frustrating when you're first getting into that. Um, but it's sort of a skill that you learn to develop and you kind of learn as you go. Is it like, did you start with just one animal? Like, I'm going to learn a lot about deers here so that I can try to get better photos of deers. And then it grows into other animals? Or do you find that universally there's some sort of uh, pattern between them? Um, for me, when I first started, you know, I, I was trying to do everything, you know, um, I, I didn't really have a focus on one animal. I was going out and I was like, Oh, maybe I'll see this animal today. Maybe I'll see this bird today. Um, and that can be great. Um, but looking back on it, I think if I would have spent um, more time focusing on just one animal, I would have definitely probably, learned quicker um at least for that species and then once i've kind of mastered um what i need to know about that animal then move on to the next um and i'm not necessarily recommending to learn that way you know learn at your own pace do what you want to do um but for me just kind of going out and shooting a bunch of uh different types of wildlife was uh it was challenging and it would be frustrating at times but um eventually i've learned a lot about all sorts of different species that I shoot in Kentucky and it's worked really well for me. Ah, uh, gotcha. Um, um, 
I kind of we we touched upon this earlier the the patience that's involved you know it could take hours it could you've been out there for six hours when do you know to move on there are two ways to bring home more money with your photography business you either get more clients or you spend less of the money that you make cloudspot studio helps you keep more of what you earn With the lowest payment processing fees in the industry, the average photographer will save $300 annually. And that's just more money to invest in essential gear, like a new flash or a sweet camera bag. You know, one that is perfect for storing all of the wedding day snacks that you can pack. But it's not just about savings. CloudSpot Studio is designed to streamline your workflow. Easily organize shoots, send contracts, questionnaires, invoices, and you're really going to enjoy the hassle-free payments. So sign up for a free CloudSpot account at deliverphotos.com. And as a bonus, you're going to get access to my exclusive wedding and portrait contracts and questionnaires at no additional cost. Why let fees chip away at your profits? Empower your photo journey with CloudSpot and watch your business soar. When it gets dark. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, I mean, um, if I sat there for like two hours honestly and i don't hear any sound there's no movement it's kind of like at that point it's like well wildlife just isn't out today you know sometimes you can go out and you just like don't hear anything in the forest and it's kind of like at that point you've just got to accept you're not going to have any luck that day and there's no point in sitting there um i don't want to say wasting your time because there's so much enlightenment that nature can bring you and just you know being out in it but if you're out there solely for the purpose of photography um, if you sit there for two hours and you're not seeing any wildlife, you're just not having any luck. Two hours is usually like my point where it's like, well, I'm out here to take pictures. I'm not being able to get good pictures. I think it's time to move on. You know, if I'm not hearing anything or seeing anything, it's kind of like today's not the day. Let's give it another try tomorrow. I see. Yeah, it's a it, there's a little bit more nuance to it. And uh, there's not a hard and fast rule. I see. OK, um, how much longer are you in Arizona for? I'm here until Sunday, so that's about days. Yeah, five, okay. five, four or five more days. I, I want to know how are you going to judge whether or not the trip is a success? Oh, you, you know, I've taken so many photos already that you know I'm I'm really proud of. I'm really happy that I've had the opportunity to take those. Um, you know, at, at this point, I think the trip's already worth it because I've taken so many photos that are just like I, I love like I've I've worked hard on this trip already and I've I've gotten some great photos that I'm really happy with. Like yesterday I got photos of purple flowers that were blooming in a field like surrounded by red rocks. And that was just something that was kind of mind blowing to me. Um, you know, the photos that I've taken have already brought me a sense of fulfillment, which we kind of talked on earlier. And so um I'm feeling fulfilled by my work. So in in uh in my interpretation, I think that uh, this trip is worth it. You know, I think it's worth the investment of this trip because I'm feeling good. It doesn't necessarily um, revolve around if others seeing my work uh, like it. Um, of course, if they do, that's enough added bonus. But um, I'm shooting for me. So um, it's definitely worth it. So you got a few more days. What is on the schedule that, that you're excited to uh, to capture? Um, today, actually, I'm going to a canyon. The name has slipped my mind, um, but I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. I'm going to Zion National Park um, tomorrow, I believe, and I'm probably going to try to hit up the Grand Canyon one day this week. I've been there before, so it's not as 
not as high on my list. Um, it's a beautiful location, but I would love to spend some more time there. So, um, you know, just kind of get out and explore and see an environment that's different to what I'm typically surrounded by every day. Um, that's always pretty inspiring and motivational for me um, when it comes to shooting photos. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, animals, in a sense, are like people to where, you know, they, they move and they do things and um, you can wait for a good moment, right? And and capture that good moment. But when it does come to landscapes, what does, I guess, how does moment play into into your photos there? Yeah, I mean, uh, lighting is like crucial in my opinion for landscape photography that that's like the most important thing you know like you said in wildlife um they can somewhat be predictable they're not really predictable but it's kind of like i can expect in a sense what's what an animal is going to do whereas the landscape i can't predict the weather i can't predict um conflicts in nature you know there could be a flood or something or a landscape could look entirely different than what it did a year ago on an image that I was looking at on Instagram. So it's kind of just, you know, play it by ear. Wow. I have never uh, thought about it like that, that uh, you can at least have some sort of idea of what an animal is going to do, but with nature, or I guess in landscapes, it's uh, it's more difficult because I would, I think, I think the majority of people would think that landscapes would be easier in the fact that it's just not moving. But uh, I, I mean, you're right. There's so many variables there that are, are impossible to control that. Uh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, what is something that you wish that you knew or understood earlier in your photography journey? Probably composition. Um, y- you know, uh, I tried for years to kind of like understand composition fully. Um, there's so many different compositional techniques that you'll see people preach. Um, and at the end of the day, the rule of thirds is um, a lovely compositional technique that I still use today. You know, I think everybody can benefit from using the rule of thirds, regardless if you're a beginner or you're like the most advanced photographer, have more experience than anybody. Um, yeah. So I wish I kind of understood that sooner. Um, perspective as well. Everything does not look the best from my level, um, especially when it comes to wildlife. That's something that I preach a lot. Um, oftentimes I'll squat down or get down on my stomach even and shoot up in an animal. For example, if you're looking up at a deer, um, that's going to catch people's attention because everybody sees an ear, uh, an ear, a deer from above at an eye level or, um, you know, from above it, you're not really used to seeing a deer from a below angle. So that's going to, it's going to catch people's attention. You don't just have to shoot at eye level. So composition is definitely something that I wish I'd kind of, kind of, um, spent more time on mastering sooner. Yeah. I've heard from a lot of listeners that uh, composition is a very hard thing to to understand. And uh, I think part of it is that, uh, you know, with light, you know that your settings have to change because uh, your photo is either too bright or it's too dark. Like there's there's a uh, there's a test right there of whether or not your settings are good based on how bright or how dark your image is. But when it comes to composition, oftentimes I hear things like, how do you know when to use what composition? And um it's a little bit more uh, nuanced than that, isn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, uh, it really just takes a lot of firsthand experience until you can do it. I mean, there's no one way to learn composition, you know, just get out in the field and shoot and eventually you'll probably get the hang of it. That's perfect. I, uh, couldn't have said it any better myself. Um, Rylan, I know that we are at the uh, the end of our time here. Um, people are listening. They're going to want to see some of your photos. They're going to want to learn more about you. Uh, tell us what you got going on because you got a book as well. I want to hear about that. So tell us where we can uh, find you online and where we can see more of your photos. Yes, I just released um, my new book. Uh, it's titled To You From Me. 
And um, it's got a lot of uh, my photography. It has a chapter on birds, um, two chapters on wildlife. It's got a chapter on landscapes and it's got a chapter on lunar photography. Um, it just released last Friday. So um, we're getting close to a week of its release um, at the time of filming this. Um, I worked very hard on this for years. Um, so it would mean a lot if anyone would go and check it out. Um, you can find it on my website. You can go to www.rylandsamazingphotography.com and um, it's it's on there. Um, it's on my homepage. There's also a set section titled um, My Books above there. You can click and it's on that as well. Um, and it's also on Amazon. So if you just type a to you from me, Rylan Meadows in the search bar on Amazon, it's the first result that pops up. I had three big takeaways from today's interview with Rylan. The first one is that landscapes can be harder than wildlife. I think both in the sense that, you know, if you know your subject isn't going to move and you have more time to create just, you know, the quote unquote best shot, that I feel like can cause some uh, overwhelm, right? Because you're constantly tweaking uh, the image, wanting to make it the best that it can be because you have this time. So why not use it to make the image better and better and better and better? Uh, but then there is a point of diminishing returns. But with wildlife, you do your best in the few seconds that you have with that animal and that's what you got. The second takeaway that I have is putting your own spin on your photos when you visit a place that has been photographed a million times. Like Ryland said, even if a place has been photographed a million uh, times by a million other photographers, just by you simply being there and you photographing it, you are going to be able to put your own spin on it. Now, it may not be something that is going to, you know, uh, change the world completely, but it is going to have your style and your stamp on the image. And at the end of the day, that is what you want as a photographer for your entire body of work to have that stamp and signature on your images. Now, my last takeaway here, number three, is the importance of knowing your subject and how it acts. Now, that goes for everything, not just animals. You need to have a basic understanding of a, a wedding day timeline. You need to have a basic understanding of how many innings are left uh, and, and what the count is for that college softball game that you're shooting. Um, or if the look in that moose's eyes is wonder or nervousness. Now, I've got links to everywhere that you can find Rylan in the show notes of this episode. Now, if you've got any questions about today's episode, anything that Rylan shared, uh, or if you have feedback on the show, I want you to feel free to reach out to me directly uh, at beginnerphotographypodcast.com, where you can shoot me an email or even better, a voicemail. Uh, and while you're there, be sure to download my free Picture Perfect Camera Settings Cheat Sheet with camera settings from more than 10 popular types of photography filled with my own personal and professional images uh, and the real-life camera settings that I used uh, so that you can know where to get started. That is it for this week. Thank you again for tuning into this episode of the Beginner Photography Podcast brought to you by CloudSpot. If you want to learn more about CloudSpot and grab your free forever account, just head over to deliverphotos.com. And remember, the more that you shoot today, the better of a photographer you will be tomorrow. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Beginner Photography Podcast. If you enjoy the show, consider leaving a review in iTunes. Keep shooting, and we'll see you next week.